Welcome to Reinventing Education. This is a podcast for teachers, students, or parents who are interested in reinventing education. I'm Rob McLeod. On our podcast so far, we've been expressing the narrative that there are at least three core values at play informing what education is today. We're making the case that a fourth value is emerging, those first three being compliance, ambition, and sensitivity, and the emerging value of development. Before we can push this narrative further, though, we would like to introduce an analytical tool called quadrants. These quadrants are going to be very useful for our discussions moving forward so that we can speak very clearly and very specifically about certain aspects of school. So this episode is our introduction to thinking using quadrants. So what are these quadrants that I'm speaking of? Well, they're a tool that we're going to use over our next few episodes, an analytical tool that comes from the work of Ken Wilber and his meta-theory, Integral Theory. They can be incredibly helpful for getting nuance in discussion and ensure that you're not making category errors by talking about the wrong thing or confusing apples with oranges. Now, we've included an image along with this week's podcast that might be helpful for you to have in front of you as I'm discussing quadrants for the next 10 minutes or so. This image can be found at reinventingeducationpodcast.podbean.com under this episode on quadrants. If you don't have it in front of you, don't worry, I will do my best to paint a picture in your mind as we're going through this. All right, so the quadrants. Essentially, it's just a square cut into four smaller squares. Imagine a larger square with a plus sign in the center of it, dividing it the square into four equal squares. These are the quadrants. And the quadrants represent two factors on the top and bottom, and two factors from the right and left. On the left-hand side of the quadrants, we have the interiors, and on the right-hand side, we have the exteriors. On the top, we have the individual, and on the bottom, we have the collective. So we have this interplay between the interior on the left, the exterior on the right, and on the top, the individual, and on the bottom, the collective. So between these two sets of ideas, we get an overlap of four possible outcomes. These represent four different perspectives you can have on an issue. Let's go through them one at a time. I'll try my best to always go in this order of the upper left, then the lower left, then the upper right, and then the lower right. First, in the upper left, we have the interior of the individual, often represented with the I pronoun or considered a first-person perspective. The individual of the interior, the I, the first-person perspective. Below, in the lower left, we have the interior of the collective. This is represented by the we pronoun, or considered a second-person perspective. In the upper right, we have the individual exterior. In this case, represented by the pronoun it, this is a third-person or more objective perspective. And in the lower right, sometimes still referred to with it, just because of the word choice that we have in English, but sometimes referred to as the its, we have the exterior of the collective. Now, let's go back through these in a slightly less abstract form. We can look at these four perspectives as four different ways to see the same topic. Perhaps uh, an Indian folktale is of service here. There is an old story about four blind men or four blindfolded people um, touching four different parts of the same elephant. And a passerby shouts out and asks, hey, what is an elephant like? The man standing at the leg feels the elephant and says, an elephant is like a tree trunk. It's thick, it's round, and it's solid. Then uh, one of the other people says, hey, no, that's not at all what an elephant's like, and they're holding the tail. And they say, an elephant is very much like a paintbrush, thin, wiry, and quite bristly at the end. 
Of course, one of the other people is holding the trunk, and they shout out that, no, it's not at all like a tree. It's not at all like a paintbrush. Rather, it's much more like a snake, like a large jungle snake. It's, you know, wide, it winds, it bends, it curves, it curls. It's very much like a snake. And you can see where this is going. Finally, the fourth person, they shout out, no, it's not like a tree. It's not like a paintbrush. It's not like a snake at all. Holding the ears, this person says, an elephant is very much like a thin sheet of paper or fine silk. Very, very, very delicate. Now, here's the challenge. All four of those perspectives are correct, given the part of the elephant that these people are describing. So it is true that an elephant is like that, but no individual description given there describes the elephant as a whole. You could think of this like our quadrants. These quadrants serve to make sure we can talk about different aspects of the same thing while at the same time understanding that we're talking about perspectives on it, not the entire thing. So we can have a first person, second person, and third person perspective on the same topic. Why this is very important when getting into complex or nuanced discussions is we want to avoid talking apples and oranges, or in this case, speaking to or from the wrong perspective. So with these quadrants, we put a topic in the center and then explore the topic we've put in the center through these four different perspectives. The perspective in the upper left of the eye, or the individual interior experience, the perspective in the lower left, the perspective of the interior collective, or the we, in the upper right of the individual exterior, or the more objective, or it, perspective, and then in the lower right, the collective of the exterior, the sort of system structure, the its, the forest that the trees are in. Now, how does this connect to education? Well, this is very important because moving forward in our discussions, Brendan and I want to be very clear and more nuanced about how we are speaking about school. So Brendan and I, we've taken the abstract nature of these quadrants and put in two useful words to anchor our discussions in each of the four quadrants. So we're putting two words in these quadrants to act as substitutes for these very abstract terms of interior individual and exterior collective, all this sort of stuff. So let's go through these one at a time. In the upper left, we're using the words beliefs and response. Response, again, this is the interior of the individual and I perspective, the responses in schools are the kinds of thoughts, feelings, states, or personal narratives that individuals hold within themselves within school. Beliefs, well, this could include anything from personal opinions to self-identity, motivations, desires, interests, and personal perspectives. In the lower left, we want this we perspective or second-person perspective of school also addressed our two anchor words here are culture and communities, this being the shared interior of the collective. By culture, we want to look at the agreements made in school between people, the sense of shared understanding and expectations, the school ethos and values. When we talk about communities, we're talking about the relationships between groups and stakeholders and the various sub-communities that exist within, within schools between teachers, students, parents, administration, and, and the larger society around a school. In the upper right, we wish to discuss our two key words here of resources and activities, this upper right being the exterior of the individual. These are measurable, objective things we can see happening in school. So the resources include just the actual things, the materials in a school, individual people, uniforms, technology, pieces of furniture, human resources, classroom assistance, pastoral care, these kinds of things. And activities, what we mean by that are the behaviors 
of the students, teachers, administration, parents, etc., and the actual activities people are spending their time on while in school. And in the lower right, we want to begin to discuss the environment and the systems within schools. So the environment in this lower right, the exterior of the collective, the environment includes the actual physical space, the school structures, the buildings, the locations, the classrooms, their setup, the gym, lunchroom, library, school development plans, the playground. And when we discuss systems, we're talking about the networks that a school is a part of. We're talking about curriculum, school rules, handbooks, teacher codes of practice, and student practice. It could involve the government, it could involve teams and clubs, even down to unit and lesson planning, our styles of teaching, our assessment models, before and after school care, and the larger political implications as school is embedded within networks and systems. So these are the four quadrants, and each of them we're giving two key words to ensure a holistic and very thorough explanation of school moving forward here on this podcast. So those, again, in that upper left quadrant, we have personal response and beliefs. In the lower left, we have the culture and communities. In the upper right, resources and activities. And in the lower right, environment and systems. Any discussion about education is already going to fall into one of these four quadrants for sure, and most likely into one of our two subcategories within each quadrant. Now the problem is, when you're speaking across quadrants, usually you and the other person do not hear each other, because fundamentally you're speaking from and talking to a very different aspect of school just as someone describing the leg of an elephant is talking about a very different part of the elephant to the person who is holding the tail. So moving forward in our conversations about education, we want to be more specific and clear here on this podcast about which specific part of school and education we are discussing. To make this feel a little bit lighter and maybe even a little bit more personal, let's connect these quadrants to you yourself. I'm going to throw out a question that might seem like a bit of a non sequitur, but you want to have a party. You want to have a party. Where do you start? I actually want you to think about this. If you were planning a party, where would you start? And once you have your answer, ask yourself, why would I start there? Why is that important? Now, I don't know your specific answer. But I'm going to guess that your answer could fairly easily fit into one of these four quadrants. The I, the we, the it, or the its. The reason being is it seems as though we as people favor one of these quadrants, or we go to it first with a bit of a bias to make sense of an issue. Now, I've asked this question to many people, and most answers do fall into one of these four categories. For myself, I'm very much an upper-left biased person. The individual interior experience is where I usually begin to make sense of things. So with a party, I go to the vibe or the imagined sense or emotional quality I would imagine with a party. I get the sense of what it would be like as an individual to be experiencing this. What's kind of the emotional state or the, the energetic level of the party event I want? Then I would move out to the other quadrants to think of guest lists in the lower left or activities we would get up to in the upper right, or the structure or the place, perhaps, in the lower right. Whereas someone who perhaps jumps first to the lower left begins with a guest list, or very carefully considering who would be an interesting social dynamic or mix for an event. Someone who biases towards the upper right quadrant might immediately jump to what will be done, or very specific things or items that would be involved in the get-together. And finally, in the lower right, these are people who tend to focus on things like time and space, the physical environment. Where would this be happening? When in the calendar week or month is this happening for the best functional fit? Now, if you get me talking about quadrants, I can easily blab on for an hour or two, so 
using my own uh, self-restrictions here. I'm going to pause there without going into further examples. But these quadrants are very helpful. They help us to see one topic from different perspectives, and sometimes not the perspective we ourselves are naturally inclined to begin with and often think from, and more importantly, argue or act from. So again, the quadrants, as we'll be using them here on the program, in the upper left, that interior of the individual, I, first-person perspective, moving forward, we'll be looking at the personal responses and personal beliefs within school. In the lower left, the interior of the collective, we'll be looking at the culture and communities in schools. From the upper right, the exterior of the individual, we'll be looking at resources and activities in school. And finally, in the lower right, the exterior of the collective, we'll be looking at the environment and systems. Those are the quadrants. I hope this has been useful and insightful and that these psychoactively enter the way that you are perceiving the world now and you can kind of touch base when you hear someone's argument or their case for something, which quadrant they are speaking to and which quadrant they are speaking from. Brendan O'Leary. Rob McLeod. Quadrants. It's a non sequitur right there. Quadrants, we're on to discussing them. We've laid out our three or four values that are in plain education because we see that highlighting the difference between these values is really important to discussions about education because we realize that it, each of these values, school is a very different thing. So if we're going to discuss education, we need to go into a little bit more nuance about what form of education we're talking about. And we've laid out these values as compliance, ambition, sensitivity, and development. But we're now bringing in the quadrants to go one level deeper in our analysis or in the way we're discussing about this so that we can be even clearer on exactly what we're discussing about. Yeah, this... so. The background behind the the kind of three levels or four levels of kind of um, values in school comes from your background in integral theory and especially as we've spoken about several times, the idea of spiral dynamics that uh, societies move through certain common phases and individuals as they um, solve problems that are, that uh, arise generally in each. Uh, kind of paradigm or mindset um, and schools being part of societies and made up by individuals follow a similar patterns. So we have our three main um, historical and current value systems uh, of the compliance, the old school hierarchical, the ambition-based uh, test uh, centric often in, in many cases and sensitivity and inclusive kind of deconstructivist school that's um, looking to, to meet the emotional and well-being needs of its students um, and then the place we're going the kind of development school that looks to get the the best or the depending on context the most appropriate from each of those values and combining um, the actions and, and, and uh, thoughts in a way that works best for uh, a world that is made up of many, many different people with many uh, needs and skills and so on. So already this idea that there's three or four different mindsets or paradigms in operation is pretty complex, but we spent quite a bit of time now 20 or so episodes kind of setting this out so if you are new to this kind of episode it's good to go back um probably to episode eight eight i think is the one where we really set out the um kind of the concept behind the podcast in the first few seasons but um all of the uh, interviews we've just done and wrapped up they kind of talk very much about the development school as well and this is what we're now trying to really get our heads around and so this idea 
this analytical tool of the quadrants is something that you've also brought in from the integral theory. Um, I really, really like it when I have used it in my class or even to help me kind of organize thinking. Um, and it's by no means um, an out there or some wild kind of theory. I think everybody can fairly quickly get the idea that there is an I, there's an individual and inside as we have our thoughts and feelings, but we're also part of a community that shares a culture. And we may agree or disagree with some of those feelings, but we're or thoughts and feelings, but we're on board with enough of them to be part of the group and maybe see other groups that we differ from considerably. And then the external, the uh, the the kind of objects around us and the actions we take. And then finally, the bigger systems that we've kind of created as humans or are part of us, uh, the natural systems that we're interacting with. Yeah, so, and I think the idea here is that all four of these are kind of always present in any given situation. And all four are kind of online at all times. Yeah. So the more they can be included, it's like the more you can be in touch with what's happening. So if we're going to explore what's going on in school right now, a more holistic or more integrative view is going to take all four of these perspectives into account. Yeah, so I think one of the reasons why we're feeling now that it's the right time to bring this kind of tool to the discussion is that the, the closest um, to a mainstream kind of um, model that we've got right now, which is the ambition system. So this might be very much what a British or a Canadian school might look like. It's uh, organized around a pretty solid curriculum. It has um, clear subjects and they're oft often assessed by using simple tools like tests and things like that. And they're usually geared towards the next step in school. So if you're in um, junior high, you're looking towards high school. If you're in high school, you're looking towards university and so on. So if we look there, you go into one of those schools, even if everybody is on board with the general gist of what is going on, whenever an issue arises within that organization, there's a possibility that the people talking over that issue are not necessarily coming from the same perspective and they may not even be able to see somebody else's perspective. So they, they may be on board with the idea that we're an ambition kind of paradigm school and we're quite different from the hierarchical old school down the road and we're really quite different from the very progressive um, inquiry-based school down the street. However, even inside our organization, when an issue arises, we still have trouble kind of getting to the, the core of what the issue is. And it might just be that we're speaking from different perspectives. Yeah, and this is where the quadrants become very useful because you realize you can be talking about an issue from any one of these four quadrants. And as I alluded to earlier, if you are speaking from one quadrant, so for example, this upper left eye quadrant of thoughts and feelings and opinions and motivations, and you're talking to somebody who's coming from, say, one of the right-hand quadrants, like the upper right of like the actions, the resources, and the things, you're likely just not going to hear each other. So let's maybe just walk through like an example to yeah. shift this from the abstract to the more practical. A common um, example within the world of teachers, which is you sit down with, let's say, four other teachers to plan a unit. I think this will be the, the simplest way into this. You sit down, a team of four teachers, you're going to plan a unit. Let's say, you know, your next unit is on ecosystems or whatever in science. So you're planning Let's essentially 10 lessons or so that are going to build towards some final uh, assessment or project generally. Yeah. And let's say we're, we're in this ambition paradigm of, you know, there's going to be a high stakes test at the end of this, you know, that's going to make up a large portion of the kids yeah. mark. We've got, you know, 10 weeks to build up to this. 
let's pretend the four teachers on that team each kind of have a bias uh, towards one of these four quadrants. So what you're likely going to hear, having sat in on many meetings that have kind of played out like this, you're going to hear the four of them like not quite be in congruence with the others because one of them's trying to push a perspective that the other ones might not be. For example, yeah, so myself and you, we, we've had this kind of conversation many times that you will operate often from the response, thoughts, feelings, kind of internal individual. That and upper I, left eye perspective, the yeah. upper left uh, individual interior. I'm kind of the opposite and in, in I will talk about the systems and I'll talk about how the parts fit together and what's the kind of big picture. Yeah. So, so that's the lower right. Who might the other two individuals be in that group? So, and what might we be saying in that conversation? Well, let's start with us and then we'll, we can fill out the hypotheticals. So let's just do our authentic responses. We're going to be tuning into, let's say a 10 week unit on ecosystem. 10 lesson unit on ecosystems, the first thing I go to are these kind of the interior of the individual. And that might take a few different forms. One might be like my own personal preferences about how to approach this topic or some of even my personal values or interests I can think of from the students that would like hook someone into this unit and make it interesting make it fun, make it frustrating in certain ways. Um, I will think about, um, as abstract as this sounds, like almost the vibe of the unit. Like yeah. almost like, hey, here's the point in the year where we have, you know, maybe like a really high energy kind of unit and a lot of kind of action, a lot of exploration, or maybe like a more kind of quiet, more reflective sort of unit. So as weird as that sounds, it's almost like I begin with like kind of the emotional response, the intended emotional and mental reflective response I hope to support for a student through this unit. Um, I'm also going to tune in within the team to activities and ideas about how to plan this unit from other teachers that they're fired up about. And what will often be a success criteria for me in terms of if we're on track for planning this unit is like how motivated we as teachers are towards this. And like, who's really bringing something to the table? I wanna hear from the other three people like what you actually like care about within this unit and how you'd like to approach it and what like fires you up. So that interior response is certainly not the only thing I'm relying on, but if I'm checking in with what I keep referencing back to, that's some of what I'm using to kind of inform how we're planning or devising this kind of unit. And, and the one other more practical part is like, what are the big ideas or insights I want someone to take away from this unit? Like, how do I want their thinking to be changed? after this almost like i want this unit to be like psychedelic in some way to change the way this person is seeing the world and like mess with their perception a little bit how can i do that through the information or activities we're providing and so you're selling that pretty well it's passionate it's hitting a lot of the buttons and i'm certainly not against any of that stuff all of that is good stuff. Now, we're in alignment here. It might be that we weren't, and I might be saying, oh, some of that stuff sounds a bit hippie-ish. How are you going to measure the vibe? How are you going to even... We've worked together enough that I trust you on those things, that we can do them, but still, I'm coming at this from a very different perspective. Without losing any of those things, what we first need to do, and this is, I think, is the key, right? Because it, each person will prioritize their point of view. So in my mind, all of that's great, Rob. But how are we going to do that? How, how is that even going to come together? We've got 10 one-hour lessons, and the four of us are all trying to teach the same kind of things to different people. We've got to have some really strong structures here. Otherwise, all of these fantastic ideas they're not going to transfer to the students. They're going to get lost in the comings and goings of your everyday classroom. We got to put some pretty tight structures in here. So let's say the 10th and 9th lesson, we've got to give those over to that assessment. 
already on a meta level, I'm saying like, oh, what you're saying is great, Rob, but unless we put these time frames on and unless we say when and how we're going to do these things, they're not going to happen. And, and we know that our, our own enthusiasm and the culture can eat a lot of our strategies if our strategies are not strong enough. So how are we going to make sure as dry as this sounds, how are we going to make sure that the success criteria that we want our kids to, to take away from this unit, that we both agree on those big ideas, how are we going to make sure that those awesome activities, those awesome lessons happen in the way we want them and build towards an assessment that can really show us what the kids know and help us to inform our teaching along the way. And I want to maybe just check in with you that I'm not putting words into your mouth here, but I want to highlight that you kept zooming it to the level of the unit and the yeah. 10 weeks and sort of the biggest picture overall view you can have of this in terms of like measurable chunks and pieces. Yeah, and absolutely. What I've not, what I haven't got into yet is how that unit then connects to the next unit, the last unit, what these kids did last year, what these kids will do next year the curriculum in general and our own aims within this year. So for example, this might be a writing unit. We're running a model that is a reader's writer's workshop. All your talk vibes and ideas and um, they will only hold in the student's head if we adhere to the model that we put in place. The reader's writer's workshop is a really flexible model. And if you don't know it, it's really worth looking into. But we, within this imaginary model, need to make sure that we are adhering to the models that we have within our school, as well as the success criteria. This is quite a complex thing to have four teachers teaching probably 100 students and aiming to differentiate. And if we are not organized when we go in there on a lesson base and a unit base, I'm making connections before and after. We won't be in a position to help those students that are behind, or we won't be in a position to push on those kids that need more help. I'll stop that. I was talking probably far more in an ambition kind of way than I would in like a normal planning session, because in this kind of little model, we're both kind of pretending to be within a somewhat ambition school rather than a development school, I guess. Do you want to just comment on that briefly? You have far more expertise in the application of the quadrants. And I was trying to stick to my own understanding. And then after, maybe bring in the other two teachers that are sitting at this table, all waiting for their turn to say, yes, that's all great. But what about but, this? Yeah. So you were speaking there from the lower right, the environment, the systems. And I might just throw in the word matrix here, like you've oh, yeah. got your eye on how all of these things fit together in a larger picture. So sure, we're doing these 10 lessons on ecosystems right now, but that's just a piece of a larger machinery. And I would argue someone who's coming from this lower right, they're seeing the whole ecosystem rather than an individual tree. And that's where they start from. How does this fit into the larger picture of what we're doing? Because anything we do in school is just connected to some larger context, some, some larger system, some larger environment of what's going on yeah. here. So let's shift now from that lower right to that upper right. Just before you bring in the other two guys, I just want to point out that in most cases, you yourself wouldn't know which area you're speaking from. And so part of the idea of bringing these quadrants in is not so much for some abstract idea to say that there's four guys at this table, but it's really to begin to think ourselves as, as teachers on top of the idea of which of the value systems are we kind of speaking of. If we're ready for that kind of next level, which of these kind of perspectives are we going to the quickest? And conversely, which ones are missing from our teams, from our school, from our own personal practice. And that's a big discussion we often have. We, we both have a bit of a blind spot in one of these areas. So, Which I'm going to conveniently leave till last. Okay. <laughs> so let's shift from the lower right, which is the exterior of the collective or exterior of the group, which we were just discussing, which has its eye on the systems, into the upper right, which is the exterior of the individual. And we're making a shift, again, as I had said a moment ago, that lower right you could think of as the ecosystem, that upper right you could think of as any individual tree or animal within that ecosystem. 
as an analogy, not directly connected to the fact we're trying to discuss an ecosystems unit here. But in that upper right of the resources and activities, the word I often associate with teachers who kind of orient from here is they're the doers. And you can almost hear the sentence stem from them, like, what are we doing? And they get focused often on individual lessons, individual activities, individual resources, and that's where they get drawn to first. So if we're planning a unit on ecosystems, usually their mind jumps first to, oh, what specific things or resources will be in the class to execute our lessons? Yeah. Are we going to go get branches? Are we going to have one of those like, you know, worm or ant farm kind of things the kids can look into? Are we going to have, you know, this software program? Are we going to have that? And they, they are typically the people who, who can often steal the show because they will show up with the best lesson ideas and like great, often one-off activities that when you hear about them, you go, oh, that sounds really interesting. That sounds really cool. Whereas sometimes someone who's coming from that lower right might kind of get into some grooves or routine or tradition with how they're approaching planning or carrying out lessons. Whereas someone in that upper right tends to bring more variety to the lessons they're doing because they're focused on the lesson by lesson experience or carrying out of that unit. And they will see each of those 10 lessons probably probably more as 10 individual opportunities for learning as opposed to maybe seeing the larger connection between all 10. And I think you see a lot of, a lot of teachers going there in their, in their first few years, regardless of which quadrant they actually and on a day-to-day basis orient from, just because when you are teacher training, and you get in there in the classroom, it is kind of hard to think beyond that single lesson, that single activity. And some teachers who I know that actually orient from some other quadrant. So actually, when you speak to them about another subject, they might talk about systems or they might talk heavily about their feelings. But as soon as you get in that planning with them, they're coming up with the ideas or they'll go to a great website of Pinterest.com and get um and that's a site that has fantastic ideas for single lessons. And I'll be in meetings with people, yeah, and I'll be talking through these kind of systemic ideas and trying to keep my eye on the other areas. And then there'll be people who are just coming up with awesome ideas of like, let's do this, let's go there, let's do this. And then if they're operating from a kind of healthy kind of place, like this resources and, and activities kind of place, they'll go and do them. It's not always the case. You sometimes have guys up there who are ideas people. They're throwing out great ideas, but they don't always, they don't happen. But um, Mm -hmm. in a positive sense, yeah, you get somebody who's like, man, I'm going to go build some rockets and they run down to the rocket store and they come back with their arms full of rockets and people are just building (laughs) rockets and firing, firing them everywhere and everyone's having a hell of a time. And then you sit back and you go, how do those rockets connect to our unit on ecosystems? Shut up! We're firing rockets now. (laughs) Now, I think we're potentially running into a slight straw man or caricature of here. The other thing I do want to bring in, it's not necessarily that they only focus on that lesson-by-lesson basis. These are often also the people who say, hey, we want this unit at the end of the unit for the kids to build this or make this, or do this kind of presentation. And that might be one of the through lines through those 10 lessons. But their attention and their focus is on that big activity that you will do at the end, or that thing that you will make, or your use of a resource. So it's not to say you've got 10 completely disconnected lessons, but their attention will be on the thing that you are doing at the end, that individual thing, and less so compared to that lower right, less so about how that maybe fits into the larger context. It's more that focus on here's the thing we are doing. So we've got three passionate people sat at the table, and that's important to understand that each one of these teachers, they care about doing an awesome unit. They care about their students learning. They are, there's, there's no subtext of how do we do this the easiest or let's cut some corners every one of these guys is like trying to do the best but they've got a different perspective on how it's done yeah and arguably one piece of the puzzle 
and one important piece that needs to be there, whether it's where you start, whether it's the quadrant you're kind of biased towards, or whether it's one of the ones you end up in, all four of these are important because if you are missing any one of these, that's likely where your unit is going to fall apart. So let's shift to our last one, this lower left, the we space or the interior of the collective or the interior of the group. And arguably you and I do have a bit of a blind spot. This is one that's easy for you or I to overlook. That's what we mean by blind spot here. But this is the domain of shared agreements, shared understanding, expectations between students, between teacher and students within the school, uh, the school ethos, your classroom values, your classroom norms, and the stakeholders who are involved in this unit. And having sat with a few people who do orient from here, um, I've really sat back and tried to listen to really understand where they're coming from. And it often fascinates me because they will very often begin with, well, who are our group of learners? Because we can go off into what activities we've got and what we're passionate about and how this connects into the systems. But at the end of the day, we have a group of like 20, 30 human beings in a room. And that's who we're working with here. And they're really good at being able to tune into like, okay, topic of ecosystems. Yeah, we've got those three or four kids who would probably kind of relate to it in this way. And we've got this group of kids we can relate to it in this way. Um, And, you know, they're often very tuned in on that human social level of the kid's interests, the kid's ability, and really able to see the kind of subgroups that can exist within a classroom. And then from that kind of more human perspective of like often authentically connecting to who's in that room, they will then kind of like custom tailor at, at their best. They will kind of custom tailor what's happening for that group of people who are there. Um, I think the only possible problem you run into this is when some of those opinions of the group are maybe coming from perhaps biases or um, I don't want to say stereotypes, but maybe a simplified version of who some of these kids are. But nonetheless, they begin from that place of really starting with the culture within the room and then working out from there to inform what the unit will look like. And, and often having, you know, the healthiest people I've seen doing this, having a really strong sense of what the group needs. Yeah, and I think in the context we've given ourselves here of planning a unit, it is somewhat difficult because units are essentially made up of individual lessons and the overall unit, the activities you do in them. But then inside the lesson, that underlying ethos of the class and the expectations and how they kind of pour out the relationships between the students, that's what matters when you're actually in the lesson. That's the thing as to whether or not you get um, high levels of engagement with a whole group and the whole group moving together as one and teaching each other and these kind of ideas of students as like a, a network and more of this kind of... Um, horizontal hierarchy and not necessarily needing a teacher there all the time i think this this is the kind of area that when we get into more inquiry learning more developmental schools this starts to really come into its own because they are the, those underlying cultures within the class within the school they really do exert a really strong pressure on everything else that happens there And if you want a a clear example of this, if you're a teacher who has done the same unit from one year to another, if you've done more or less the same activities, the same, you know, test, the same end goal, you can see how the group of kids completely changes what that quote unquote unit is. And I can say that, you know, in some of my teaching in the same year, teaching the same unit to like this, you know, the grade three class, let's say, but I see both grade three classes in the school. I've got one group of 20, 30 kids on Monday, and I've got the other grade class, grade three class, another group of 20, 30 kids on Wednesday. I do the same lesson, and it can play out completely different. And you're not talking about skill levels there. 
You're not I'm not talking about skill level. levels, no. You're talking about but, the way it's received, the expectation of the students, of the parents, of the other teachers in the room, and how those interactions really do play a, a really large part on what happens. So while we're sitting at the table, the four of us, it might be that the, the person thinking about relationships and cultures may not say quite as much in those actual planning lessons or may not they don't have the the firebrand um kind of activities they may not be talking about the the vibe of the of the teacher or the vibe of the unit and they may not be talking about how we get to that end point but underneath it all they are, they know that hold on what you guys are saying here, it's not going to fly with this particular group in that way. We got four classes here, and we all know that if you take those same activities to those four classes, some will take twice as long as others. Some will result in tears. Some will result in fantastic work. Some will result in endless emails from parents to complain and, and so on. So those guys are bringing that element to the conversation. Um, yeah, and they, they've got their attention on, yeah, the social and relational impact of the units and lessons that are coming your way. And I think this might be a crass analogy to it, but it's sort of like they get that to some degree, there's some element of like an orchestra here. And it's like, in my class, there's a complex orchestra of social dynamics. And that person orienting from that lower left, that we space, the interior of the group, they're tuned to knowing how reacting to different portions of that group change the social dynamic and therefore the dynamics of everything within the classroom. And they've, they've got their, their kind of conductor's attention on how do you engage with that? And I'll, you know, I'll be honest, for me too often, that's something I don't consider until it becomes a problem. And then I go, oh, I needed to have had that on my radar. Or this would have turned out differently had I had more. Possibly that's a bit harsh knowing you as a teacher, but myself also, it's, it's not something I'm going in there feeling really like it's the first thing on my agenda it's kind of like it's you know i've been teaching a long time and you see the you see the signs that something's on the horizon and it's like in the first few years that took a lot yeah it was it was much harder to know hold on you can you got to read the signs here something may may not be working as well as you think it is and it's down there in those relationships inside and outside the classroom so i've become far more aware of that but it doesn't come naturally to me and it's actually of the four the most stressful area to consider you know like i said i'll go to those strategies i'll go i'll find some good activities i'll think about my own thoughts and feelings and those are the individuals in the class and it's almost like hey that kind of shared culture that's a given let's just make sure it's good and uh, that's taken care of but it's not something that I'm naturally working on. But if we, let, if we now imagine we have the four guys sat at the table, or professionals talking about this ecosystems unit, they're all operating from um, a somewhat ambition paradigm or what, they've all taken time to listen to each other. And the hope is that op being open enough to each other to appreciate that each one of us is essentially holding a part to that puzzle. And if there's more parts, I'm happy to hear about them. But I really like this as an analytical tool because if you realize which of the four areas you're talking about when you're doing any activity, and then you try and just spend a little bit of time thinking about those other perspectives, in, in every time I've done this, in every unit or any activity, you get a richer and a deeper set of perspectives and it leads to generally a better outcome. Yeah, and arguably we're already doing one or more of these without having the label to put on it. So we're already doing this. We're using this as an analytic tool because it's just pointing out you know, some characteristics of the territory we're already in. And yeah. when you can identify these, then when you can see them and when you can name them, I think you just have more agency and you can play with this and use it more strategically 
You can use it to be more sensitive. You can use it to enhance achievement. You can use it to enhance, you know, the, the sense of duty and the compliance within school. Like no matter what your value is, if these are on your radar and you can see them in action and how they're impacting what's going on in your school, in your classroom, in your lesson, then I think you just have another very strong tool in your tool belt to engage with what's happening around you. Yeah, so that's the hope. The hope is that we've, as we move now into kind of the third season where we're going to be bringing this idea of healthy and less healthy aspects of those three, hopefully four value systems, the uh, sensitivity, ambition, compliance, development values. Having this kind of tool to lay on top of those value systems is going to be really helpful. Um, I think it's probably best to actually leave how we might break down school into these four areas for another time, because that is a lot of information. Um, my hope is that we've explained at least the beginnings of this tool well enough for people to get a handle on it. Um, and yeah, if people have uh, want to engage in a further discussion, have questions, or have times when they've employed these, then really happy to hear from them in our Facebook pages and um, Twitter feed. Anything else to say on this, Brennan? I feel this is a wrap-up spot. There's a wrap-up. There's much, much more to say. I do really like this, this system, shall I say, Rob. Oh, um, I love how you bridged our two quadrants there. Okay. I love how I heard your upper left opinion and feeling on a lower right system. And I agree. Let's try and give these other two quadrants or perspectives some credence here. Um, yes, this is a system that's functional and it can be fascinating to somebody in the, the upper left. It can inform, I think, better your actions in the upper right. And I think it also just helps to build more capacity for empathy and understanding in that lower left of being able to take on the perspectives of others. So in all four quadrants, it does a great job. And I've got a big glass of pineapple juice that I'm going to drink in celebration of us hitting this. Awesome. Glug, so glug, yes, glug. looking forward here. See, it's even in everything I say, my upper left bias. I'm looking forward to and feel excited about the interesting insights that are coming our way as we peel back how we're looking at school through the lens of these four insightful quadrants. Beautiful. Um, and I'm so, looking yeah. forward to putting them in a table and putting numbers on them. <laughs> All right. So this is us setting up our next handful of episodes where we'll go into depth on each of these aspects of school through the different quadrants. Thanks, Brennan. Thanks, Rob. We hope this episode has been interesting. If you want to connect, we're on Twitter, or you can join our private Facebook group just searching Reinventing Education Podcast. Request and we'll let you in. We're kind of building a community there. So far, it's kind of been sharing news stories that reinforce our narrative about the four values competing against one another in education. But let's see if we want to organize to do more than that there. Feel free to pass this episode on to others who give a damn about what's going on in education from Brendan and myself. Attention is a valuable thing these days. Thanks for having some of yours on what we're saying.